Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Instrument On Air, a podcast dedicated to breaking down systemic racism and mitigating bias in the advertising, technology, and consulting industries. I'm your host, Jessica Hartley. I go by she, her, and I am also an African-American woman. I'm very excited to bring you our next episode uh, in this podcast series, and today we're going to be sending on and focusing on the voices of users when we think about designing and building customer experiences. We are living in this world where the customer is royalty and brands are being more and more influenced and, and impacted by their customers every day as opposed to the other way around. And as designers, as strategists, as creators, as content producers, we have to find this balance every day. We have this dual responsibility of trying to meet client demands, trying to meet agency demands, and also trying to meet our team demands, and also sort of what we want out of the world and what we want out of what we're producing every day. And ultimately, we are tasked with building this bridge between brands and consumers. But how do we ensure that the bridge that we're building is right? How, how do we know that we're going to the right audience? How do we know that we're building the right bridge? What materials should we be using? Whose voices and perspectives should we be bringing into that process and considering along the way? Um, and so those are going to be the types of things we're going to be talking about today. And it won't be talking about building physical bridges, but we will talk about the mental and emotional bridges that we build every day when we think about websites, and mobile sites and social and digital products and services. Uh, this is the work that we build every day. These are the types of bridges that we are building between brands and between consumers. But we're also being very thoughtful and critical around what it means to be a maker, what it means to be a creator, and what it means to also be diverse in of that, whether you are um, a woman, whether you are a person of color, whether you identify as LGBTQ+, whether you identify as a person uh, with a different ability, right? All of these things also come to bear in how we think about and approach the work, how we think about these audiences, and ultimately how we produce the content that goes out in the world. So I'm very excited to bring three amazing, talented people uh, to the podcast with me today. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And we're going to share a little bit and have just a really great discussion as we talk again about centering users and voices and bringing diverse perspectives as we go about making and creating things that impact the world. So I will kick it over first to Ramona. Ramona, please introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, everyone. My name is Ramona Todoka. I go by she, her. Um, I am originally from Romania and uh, currently uh, working an instrument as an associated creative director. I've uh, been traveling and living um, around the world for, for a while now. So um, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to be in a place where um, I get to to work with people from um, around the country and around the world as well. Wonderful. Welcome, Ramona, to the show. Miyasha, would you like to go next? Sure. Hi, my name is Miyasha Nakahara. I'm Japanese-American, born and raised in Okinawa, Japan. My pronouns are she, her. 
I am also an ACD here at Instrument, and I've built my career here for six years. Um, I started in product and web design, user experience design, and kind of made the tra transitions into brand communication, campaign marketing work, branding work um, more recently. Great. And finally, Jamal, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Jamal Qtub, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm a Jamaican Palestinian American that was born in the UK. And I'm the associate director of the visual craft team at Instrument. And um, yeah, I guess I'm an animator and designer by trade. By trade. I love it. Well, thank you all for joining me today to talk about this topic. And um, I know it's something um, that we are all very passionate about and uh, have to sort of grapple with and tackle with in all of our work every day with all of the different brands and different clients, whether here at Instrument or in other roles and in other spaces. And the first place I'd love to start is just, I mean, what an amazing wealth and amount of diversity on on this this show today, right? Just um, in terms of identities, in terms of experiences, and so I'd love to start with just understanding how has your history and your identity and your experiences, how do you see that um, affecting who you are today, particularly in terms of how you show up at work today? Um, and I'd love to understand just how that impacts your work. And, you know, for me being um, a woman of color, being a woman and being a woman of color, uh, that has absolutely impacted my, you know, 20 year plus career, you know, startup to agency to consulting, now back to agency. And I felt my identity sort of shift and morph over time. And it was interesting because I started my career at a startup that was a startup focused on Black and African American women. So I very much felt like I could be myself um, and uh, could kind of very much live rooted in my identity. But then I moved into advertising and you had to kind of subvert that and kind of conform. And I I felt a lot of that for a big part of my career, even moving into consulting. Um, but at some point, I don't know, a, a switch flipped and it was, you know, you either got to accept me for who I am and all of the things that I bring to the table, including being a competent black woman, um, or you don't accept me at all. And now, interestingly enough, being back in advertising, um, you know, I feel as rooted um, in my identity now as I did at sort of starting my career because I'm a lot more confident. Um, but I also feel like the world has changed to say it's okay for you to be more uh, authentic in who you are. Um, and that's sort of my experience. Um, Miasha, let me start with you. How have you felt your identity sort of show up and how does that sort of, how have your, your experience across your career, how does that sort of impacted and, and shown up for you? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I also identify as women of color. And, you know, when I first started in this industry, I feel like it's just what, it just wasn't a topic that we talked about openly. And I don't think I really had the language to actually talk about it in this type of setting as well. Like that just wasn't a thing. And I think throughout, you know, the changes in this industry with 
the conversations that are happening currently in the world, I feel like that has really opened up an opportunity for us to really step in and speak up and be authentically ourselves in our workplace. I just feel like that space wasn't really there for us in the past. And, and that narrative is changing. Adding to that uh, perspective, I, I really res- responded when you, you were mentioning, um, Jessica, about um, having to conform in advertising. Um, and, and of course, this is the, the anecdote I'm about to share is, is not as much uh, about um, uh, uh, racial identity as much as uh, uh, it relates to, um, I'd say, um, reference it, reference diversity or or or, or um, the the kind of the input and the inspiration and the, all our the, the sum of our experiences as creatives and as designers so um entering advertising you know uh, more than than a decade ago and and having worked um specifically in new york city advertising on the in, in the new york city advertising scene um i have always felt like a little bit as an uh, as an outsider not having grown grown up in in the US and not having the references and the the experience and uh, you know the 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 shorthands that uh, advertising in the industry as a whole is um, is using every day in order to uh, communicate to large amounts of people to, through symbols you know through symbolism so so for for a very long time i felt um like i was coming up short um in those uh references and in 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 even in the way uh the creative output was being formed because i was missing this lexicon um that was shared in this you know culturally um so it's 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 a really specific um kind of example um and and it, it has to deal with the creative output and uh but that we know that that's so intimately related and intimately connected we with our self-perception our idea of you know fitting in as 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 we are or contributing or or, or believing that who we are and the sum of our experiences are are meaningfully making a contributions as they are versus um, shifting them or worrying about them coming up short um, in in um, you know a context that is not um, aligned with who we are. Um, so and you know and h- how that changed over time. You know if I was fast forwarding forwarding to now, I feel a lot more secure in 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 that sense um in, in terms of bringing forward um i'd say experiences and bringing forward learnings from experiences that are perhaps um uh different or they they they're coming from a from a different point of view because like miasha mentioned it, it, it we've have experienced in a very short amount amount of time a significant shift in terms of the aperture um, through which organizations and instrument specifically is welcoming those um, those perspectives um, or seeking them rather um, much more openly. Yeah. No. Thank you for sharing, Ramona. I. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that the, there's this layer of cultural identity, right? That you were that you're talking about, sort of having grown up in in from the Romanian culture and then coming here and this very American culture. But even then, like there is, you know, there's a socioeconomic thing happening there I even think about myself like I mean I grew up middle class but I grew up in the south which is very different than than you know where my partner grew up 
in uh, New York City. And so our cultural identity and cultural references are very different. And my parents were educated and, you know, they, my mother was a teacher. My, my father, you know, worked um, at the railroad and then at the city government. Um, but they, um, you know, they weren't, you know, financial services people or corporate America people. So to your point around like lexicon, um, expectations, like all of these things, me walking into corporate America was literally like walking into another world that I had to learn and understand. It was just, it, it was just something that I had never experienced before. So, um, I understand that absolutely on, on some levels as well. Jamal, what about you? For my first marketing job, like I started working at Widening Kennedy was like my first job and it was kind of the place I always wanted to work when I was in college learning design. So I was really fortunate to land a job there first off. And my first experience of that was basically that I needed to learn like a new culture of language, uh, you know, predominantly white experience when it came to marketing. It felt like all the creative teams were predominantly white. So it felt like I had to learn a new culture to fit in and to be useful uh, for the for the you know things that I would be doing creatively, and it felt like I was speaking with a different voice or learning to absorb this other world. That you know it was like educational. It's like okay, I'm learning something different, but it was the predominant kind of you know person that you know we were focusing on the the customer or whatever when it came to the work. And then over my career. Uh, I, you know, felt more that my voice had some kind of, uh, you know, value uh, when it came to like moving forward with uh, creative concepts and stuff and tried to speak up more. But I would say that over my career, it had been like, I was completely quiet, just, you know, trying to just follow along, not get myself fired by being the angry black dude or something, you know, it just felt like I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. And it was just like, you know, it, so it just felt like I'll learn, I'll absorb things. And then over time, I felt like I'll show a little bit more of my perspective and, uh, you know, see where I can be valuable and be unique, you know, because I felt like overall, uh, as far as marketing, uniqueness and real, you know, diverse and creative uh, ideas are of value in marketing. And I felt like I had a lot to offer in that sense. And I became over time more vocal about wanting to share my opinion and share my ideas, starting to demand to be heard. And I think that uh, as a result, it's like I've become more accepting of my worth as someone in this industry and that my ideas matter and that they should be shared. And, you know, I'll take the criticism that comes along with any idea, but I at least demand to be heard. Whereas I think when I started out, it wasn't so much that. That's so that's so interesting what you're saying about that initial moment of learning and that openness to learning, um, you know, the new lexicon or the new um, a new cultural norm. And, and when that learning is starting to impact self-image and self-worth and the, percep the perception of of, of value that um you know we are bringing to an organization and um that feels like a critical moment um a, a shift um that i wonder um in in your your experiences also um 
if that if that if you've ever identified that moment to uh, let's say Miyasha uh, in terms of if that ever shifted um, your perception. You know, as I sort of moved into a position that allowed me to kind of like voice that opinion or feel like I have that worth or that sort of um, impact on the work, I think I've gotten much more comfortable speaking about that, you know, speaking about harder topics um, and having these conversations. Quite honestly, like I'm still learning to do that and be comfortable with it. It's still uncomfortable for me sometimes, especially like the dynamic of the room isn't this, right? <laughs> it's usually not. So, you know, it's still something I'm trying to learn as I you know, grow into this position and have a more um, leadership role on teams to provide that impact. Also, you know, personally, I don't want someone on the team to experience what I had experienced coming to this point, you know? So for me, mentally, I'm always like, okay, how do we not do that? How do we not repeat that? How do I not have someone come into this world and have that same experience we had 10 years ago? Like, it shouldn't be that way. I think that's so, so important to to raise right because all weaved in this part of this is power and empowerment right what sort of what per and we've been doing a lot of work as an executive team uh here at instrument um uh with our fantastic uh dei uh facilitator around power and power dynamics and hierarchy and i think all of us can sort of say you know you you get to a certain point in your career where uh i mean part of it is probably you're probably fed up <laughs> and you're just like i'm i'm done like i know my value and my way and i'm and i'm done with uh you know sort of kowtowing or just sort of you know um uh, you know, not speaking up and just sort of allowing things to happen to me. I need to, to, even if things don't go my way, at least I feel as if I have spoken up or spoken up um, for others. Um, but there's also getting to a certain level, sometimes it's titles, right? Feeling that a title sort of bestows power upon you. Um, sometimes that's having a different manager or supervisor that you feel is empowering and bestowing that power upon you to speak up um, and to be able to advocate not only for yourself, advocate for others. And in this case, you're, we're talking about advocating for users or consumers. Um, so I find that power um, dynamics are really important. And even as we think about our relationships with clients, because, you know, we're in a service model. You know, at the end of the day, we're the, the contracts are being signed and uh, someone is paying us to deliver a service. Um, but uh, but it is not purely a transaction, right? We don't do this work because it is just a transaction. Um, we do this work because we are truly putting a little bit of our soul in everything that we're doing. We actually care about the work that we're doing and the work that we're creating. Um, and so do you all feel, I mean, I feel like I've seen it. I, I feel like I've seen the shift and I feel the shift with clients, with the clients here, clients elsewhere, where, you know, let's say even five years ago, seven years ago, clients would come to us with briefs, clients would come to us with, 
this is what we want to do. No negotiation. We want to target these people. This is like, this is it. Do it or we'll go find someone else. And we'd say, okay, sure, no problem. Right. Um, but now we're actually in a place, I think, where, you know, yes, sometimes there's sort of moral and ethical boundaries and parameters, but sometimes there's really just like, this is not actually just good business. Like you should do better. We need to target, we need to change. You know, I know we've talked a lot about brief backs, um, which is essentially where a client tells us what they want to do and we go back and say, yeah, that's great, but this is what you should do instead. Um, but do you feel like there's been a shift for us where we feel like we are more empowered or have more power to push back in a way that actually is truly in service, not to us, but into service to the client, to the business, and ultimately to the consumer and to the user? I feel like there has been a shift just because clients are starting to realize they maybe don't know their customers so well. And I think oftentimes clients will have a relationship with some agencies as a kind of, you know, finger on the pulse partner or an executioner where you either execute the work or you're going to execute the work and also tell us what we need to do. And I think uh, I noticed that when I was at White and Kennedy, there was like a lot of, um, dependency on widen to provide that pulse of who the consumer is, who the target is. And they were allowed to give that kind of pushback and uh, on the on the client's initial idea, whereas some other places will just executionally just do the work they're told to do. They're happy to land the work, whatever it is, and just do it. And, uh, and I think nowadays, as clients are starting to hear on social media, you know, the public, you know, their own consumer that they don't really know, talk about their product and express concern or anger or what have you. They don't want to learn it on social media after their thing launches. They'd rather kind of figure out what to do beforehand so that what they, you know, create doesn't have that kind of a backlash and stuff. So I think they are starting to probably lean on marketing agencies to be like, all right, we need to really think this thing through, you know, we don't want to offend people, you know, we want to be more inclusive, we're discovering that our clientele is actually this group of people we've completely never thought of, you know, and we want to keep them and we need to really think about who we are for them and, you know, broaden their scope and become more successful, I think, in the long run. I, I would agree with that as well. Um, and uh, it, I feel like it's, it's, it goes also has been going beyond the um, this being allowed into this being expected, um, into, into this being a, a, an expectation implicit or explicit, um, in that relationship with a, with a client partner, um, in, in, in ensuring that, that the work that we do, um, is, uh, is, is, is making sure that the brand does right by, by their customers um so that expectation has been um you know has been ex being expressed through the work through those brief facts that jessica is and and through the through this you know even quite specifically asking you know push we want to be pushed on 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 our ideas on the ask or even on the whole project um as well as um in the expectation that the people making the work um, reflect or the perspectives that are uh, used in or tapped um, into while making the work um, are reflecting the perspectives of the people that 
we're trying to build this bridge to. I love, Jessica, when you were mentioning this idea of us being bridge builders. It's really hard to build a bridge without knowing exa- where where it needs to go, you know, like, knowing the other side uh, that that needs to that needs to touch on literally and metaphorically and um and uh, that has been um again and I, I i've been feeling it as an expectation and it's not just feeling i've been observing it as an expectation from our client partners yeah i agree on that i feel like um it's also more there's a level of respect that is there now you know to hearing those feedback and um or even in taking the questions or the concerns that we may have um, which is like a really good sign. Um, we're thought of more as a thought partner. And to, to Ramona's point, I think it's an expectation. It's a necessity to, to push the work forward. I do agree that I, that I think that more clients more often than not are expecting us to, um, to show up more with POVs, um, to be a part more of the process. We talk about that a lot more now, right? Of, uh, you know, we don't go off for two or three weeks or a month in a black box and then show up and say, ta-da, we are ensuring it is important now to bring the clients along the process. And in a lot of cases, it's not just whoever that critical stakeholder is or whoever, you know, uh, the uh, money bags is, whoever's paying the bills. It's also who are the other people that are going to be impacted by whatever you're building, including the user. Um, uh, but um, it's one thing for them to say that. It's another to actually be in the moment and say, hey, we actually do need additional stakeholders to have a seat at the table. We do actually need these users to be a part of uh, user testing or to have their voice here. Or in some cases, it's a contingent upon us to say, we actually do need to have on our side of the table these diverse individuals actually represented in helping to build the work. So whether it's dealing with the client side or pushing our own internal leadership, how have you all been navigating some of those challenges when it's been coming to having to, like rubber meets the road. If you think about, you know, a project in the last, you know, six to nine months where you've had to push and challenge either on the client side or internally, how have you navigated that? I'll jump. I'll jump in since I had a a project pop into my into my mind as you were talking, um, and um, it had to deal with uh, the selection of um, the some interviews um, and interviewees um, for a specific uh, industry um, that was uh, majority white, and um, I'd say if one kind one theme that um, that I've been um, noticing in terms of when this, when those, uh, you know, callouts or when those, um, uh, those conversations are most effective is when they happen um, earlier than later, when there isn't that assumption that someone is thinking about this, or they surely know that the three interview, uh, the three interviews that, uh, you know, the footage for the three interviews that we got are, all um you know white males in their um you know mid 40s um you know very european centric and american centric white american centric perspective um 
So the the what has been successful is um, communicating as soon as we see that pattern or as soon as we we notice that something is or as soon as someone is is on the team, um, regardless of level or in a project lead position or not, is feeling something or or, or um, raising a, a concern and and um, validating that with with a conversation, validating that with um, a collective point of view, um, and then using uh, uh, the moments, using the next available moment with a client or finding. Uh, the next available mo- uh, uh, moment with a client to um, to have a conversation, a, a, a direct, um, a honest and um, a, a truthful, I'd say, conversation about what we have been observing, but and 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 also seeing how and mentioning um, how that impacts the project, the business, the brand, um, because we're we're not only in. We're not necessarily in a teaching moment, but we are in a moment where we actually um, enact our true partnership, which is creating that space where we can say the hard things and we can do the hard things uh, and we can come together to talk about those things. Yeah, and always in service to the business. I mean, I think that's the one thing is everybody's like, oh, it's the right thing to do. Yes, but it also is the smart thing to do for your bottom line and for the dollars, right? So that's always something that I think is so crucial and important as well. What about you, Miyasha? Yeah, I mean, plus one on that too. Um, I think communication, it's, it's much easier when you've developed that sort of relationship with clients to have that kind of conversation, um, honest conversation at all parts of the process. But I think, um, you know, being proactive about like how this is a really important thing up front when we kick off a project is so, so important. It's like, this is, these are our values. Like, this is how we see this project happening. These are blind spots, maybe your blind spots. Like really being open and honest about that, like up front and kickoff or brief back, I think is like so crucial in setting the tone for the rest of the project. Yeah. Jamal. I think I'm gonna agree with both Miyasha and Ramona on that one. Uh it's just all it's it's all covered. It's all covered. Smart, <laughs> smart. Yes, no, I agree. And I think um I think the same goes internally for us as you know, I've been on um in my role. I'm often, uh, you know, on the coordinating in um, as different types of projects come in, particularly some that have come in um, that have required, and I've actually partnered both Miyasha and, and Ramona and even Jamal on things that have required um, a diverse perspective, whether it was for black women or it was for black and brown communities um, and uh you know, being, raising our hands early and saying, hey, we need to ensure that we have the right people working on this work or providing input on this work. Um, And I think just to your point, communicating early and being very clear in that communication and the reason why. And I think that goes over well. And I think you're respected for that. And even if people ultimately decide to disagree or decide not to take your advice, again, I think those are the moments in which you can at least feel good and confident that you have really sort of, you know, stood in your power um, in in, uh, advocating for what is right. 
Um, so as we sort of wind down here, and thank you, this discussion is, I think, so important and relevant. And these are the types of conversations and discussions I know we often have on the sides and, you know, in smaller pockets. But the, one of the main reasons for this podcast, the sort of birth of this, is to have these discussions more openly because other people are talking about these things and we should be talking about them together, not just around the challenges, um, but also around solutions and really around how we can all contribute to, um, you know, helping to mitigate these challenges, but also to your point, Miyasha, about how do we, how do we prevent this others that are coming up uh, from learning bad behaviors, from uh, experiencing the challenges that we had, right? We're really, truly about how do we set the tone and help create a better future for those that become, that are coming after us. And also we want to be more inclusive. We want to be more diverse. And so we have to create a better environment in which that they can thrive. So um, as we close out, questions for um, each of you to think about um, is, you know, especially given the last year and all of the challenges of all the things, not just the racial unrest and, and, and uh, protests um, and elections and all these things, things that continue to permeate pandemic that feels never ending. Um, and also I think just, you know, life challenges and all of the things, but still hope and joy and goodness that still keep us together. Great people to work with all the blessings that we have as we think about, um, amplifying voices as we think about uh, creating space, which is what we've all talked about today, creating space for others um, to have a voice, to have a seat at the table um, for things that are being created for them. Um, what do you think the future looks like when we really do have a truly inclusive and diverse workforce? Like, what does that really feel like? What does that feel like for you all? You know, a year from now, two years from now, how do you, how do you want work to feel, Ramona? Smiling, everyone. How do you want um, how do you want work to feel every day? Maybe I'll st I'll just end there. How do you want work to feel every day? I I feel like. The future is bright if we can diversify the workforce creating what's out there. Uh, like, uh, I think it will be uh, less stressful because you'll have people near you that work alongside you that you can ask them directly about their perspective and uh, uh, get to know them and their unique experience of being in this world, in this culture, you know, because like no two people are alike. And I think for too long, everything has been marketed towards a specific idea of a customer. And I think what we're realizing, especially in the last year and, and or so, is that there are so many different people out there, so many people having horrible experiences, so many people who seem to come from your background, but they're having a completely different life experience. And, uh, and a lot of people voicing that they're not, haven't been heard for the longest time. And I think that now we're starting to listen to that. And I think, It'll be easier to listen to those messages when they're working alongside you and not just like a comment on, you know, like social media that comes out after everything is said and done or in a control group that's looking at the end result of some project product that hasn't had any of their input in the first place by having people in the building from the ground up, uh, 
you know, being part of the creative community and helping to create these future ideas is going to make future products that much more reachable to more people, I think. I hope that in the future, I think the goal would be to kind of disrupt this idea, especially if we're talking about sort of user experience and like the, the customer, you know, really putting them first and foremost um, over everything um, in which we create. Like, I just hope that the idea of this like mythical norm that the society sort of like understands what a generic human to be is just not a thing anymore. Like, you know, we see it as this white, thin, male, young, heterosexual sort of Christian, financially secure being, and like, it's so singular, you know. And and hope I'm hoping that in the future that is not a thing anymore. Like that is not even what we, you know, think about when we talk about designing for, like, designing globally um, for people. Like I, I still feel like we're still in the stage of that of um, as parting from that idea. Like we're not there yet, you know? Um, we're still kind of unpacking all of that. And I think we're trying to develop processes that are helping us sort of not see diversity as an afterthought, but I'm hoping that in the future, it's more ingrained in our process. It comes naturally to every single person, not just leadership, not just those who have the largest impact um, in the room. It's like every single person, human being in the room is upholding that value um, just as much as everybody else. I'm, I'm also smiling, Jamal. <laughs> um, and I'm smiling again. Uh, the first time I was smiling because I thought uh, Jessica uh, asking about the future, I went into, you know, 30 years into the future. And then you mentioned <laughs> the next year. And I was like, wow, that is you. Your future happens real fast, Jessica. Uh, but now, now, now I'm smiling. I, I was smiling again while you we were talking. Also, Miasha, because it is, it feels so incredibly exciting as a creative opportunity to think about humans in in their, you know, brightest and uh, infinite nuances um, of what an identity is and what an what 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 you know, the experience of being human um, can truly mean and, and all the various um, tones and nuances that, that can be lived uh, lived in. Um, so when, when I think about that, I, it makes me incredibly excited because designing for that incredible diversity and, and, and uh, you know, the world that, as you were describing, the world that, um, where everyone is, where, where that is the status quo, the fact that there isn't a, such thing as a monoculture, there isn't such thing as this monolith of a customer or this monolith of a user um, that is reduced to the majority traits, um, that to me feels like a future I want to work in, you know, two years from now or 35 years from now. I wanted to add something mm -hmm. real quick. Like Miyasha, Miyasha brought up disrupting, which I feel like is a word bandied about all marketing and advertising agencies for since I've started. It's just like, be disruptive. We're going to be disruptive and for the longest time. And I feel like inclusivity is going to be the biggest disruptor and will actually bring about the disruption that has been talked about forever. And ha we haven't attained that kind of level of 
disruption because we're, you know, we're, we're, we need to do this. We need to be more inclusive. We need to start hiring people to be the creators who are uh, diverse so that we can get to this disruption that will shake up everything, I think, ultimately, and be something a little bit more different than just putting the faces of inclusivity into advertising and marketing just to knock off a couple check boxes and United colors of Benetton it or something, you know, it's like, we need to really do it from the ground up, you know, and (laughs) not just the faces. I have a freckled boy and a redhead girl and a blue man. The only one we found. Well, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, uh, everything you all said and what was resonating for me was, you know, yes, our identities and the check boxes are important to us, are important to our history and our heritage. Um, but they are only one part, one component of who we are. And, and all of the things that I have become are not just because I am a woman, are not just because I'm Black and African American, are not just because I was you know, born and, and raised in the South, are not just because I am a mom. I am so much more than that, right? And so how do we move past um, those types of identities into you know, affinities and into um, interests and into passions and interests, right? Do you care more that I'm a Black woman or do you care more than I'm a Marvel fan? Uh, You know, right? Like, where do you, how do we start finding, right? Because, I mean, man, if you look at Marvel fans, the intersection of that, holy hell, like, (laughs) you know, all of the people that are in that universe that are so excited about the things. And I just use that as one example. But where are the things, I find it interesting, and I'll close on this, I find it interesting a lot of our clients are coming to us um, even with this idea of um, of Gen Z and uh, they're, you know, Gen Z is so radically different, but they're still looking at Gen Z as a monolith. And I'm like, they're not all pink hair and lots of piercings and tattoos and hugging trees. Um, you know, the, again, you know, we, we still apply old patriarchal, you know, white hegemonic, um, constructs and, and structures, even to how we think, how we're looking at the future. And when you talk about disruption, you literally have to start with how do we break down even the lenses and the structures by which we are even looking at people and looking at humans. Um, and that's going to be the first place we have to start before we're truly going to be able to to do all the other things we want to do. And part of that is going to be hiring those people to come work, to, as you said, alongside us, because they'll sit and say, those Gen Z people will be like, yeah, no, like I've got, I've got five friends and none of us do that. So yeah, that's a really, really bad idea. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Um, so thank you all so, so much 
for the time. I appreciate it. Ramona, Miyasha, Jamal, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the honesty and authenticity by which you showed up um, today and sharing your experiences um, and also your hope for the future, which is always what we want to end the show on. Um, I appreciate you all so much. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode and excited to share more to come as we continue along this topic as well as others. Thank you for listening. I'm Jessica Hartley, your host of Instrument On Air. Goodbye.